1: I know it's going to be a lonely.
0: Welcome to WNHHFM one oh three point five. I'm your host, Justin Farmer, inviting you to be in community with us about ideas that matter, and people who are making a difference. Uh, today, our guest, esteemed activist, uh, community extraordinaire, Senna Weiser. Uh, sena, thank you so much for being in community with us.
1: Thank you for having me. Thank you for that intro, too. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, uh,
0: I, I don't, I, I guess I want to start with, you know, what made you decide uh, to uh, get involved in environmental activism? There, I feel mm-hmm. like there's so many different movements going on, and there's so many places to put your energy. But what drew you to the environmental
1: movement? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I, I mean, I think I was, you know, I was interested and these issues and passionate about these issues as like a small child um, but the thing that really drew me i think to climate specifically um as well when i was about 14 in 2018 um, the un intergovernmental panel on climate change <laughs> which sounds very like wonky and and scientific but they released this report um, talking about kind of how much time we had left to prevent the worst consequences of climate change and at the time it was about 12 years which has been um, you know, very much significantly reduced. And I remember kind of in that moment thinking about, oh, how old would I be in 12 years? How old would my sister be in 12 years? And having that kind of like really scary moment of being like, oh, oh my gosh, <laughs> we're gonna be so young. You know, we're gonna be 26 and 24. Um, and in a lot of ways, like some of these really important decisions will either have been made or or won't, and we'll have either changed or we won't. And that really scared me. Um and it, you know, it kind of felt like a lot of that future that I had imagined for myself kind of went up in this puff of smoke, and I couldn't see it anymore, um, because now I all I could see was climate change. And so that it was, you know, it was scary and it was hard, but it also drove me to do this work. And I think I, I found some good things through through the work, even though it was a, you know, very much an unfortunate realization that I I would like to prevent other <laughs> fourteen or fifteen year olds from having.
0: No, that that uh, that is uh, you know, I I for me it's always been the fact that my family's from Jamaica, and so mm-hmm. the fact that uh, you know, we're a coastal community. Yeah, It's just like oh,
1: storms be yeah. more intense, <laughs> right? Yeah,
0: I, you know, I, I something that I I find interesting is that you grounded it in family. And the mm-hmm. fact that you know this you have a personal stake, right um why do you think that so many people you know don't feel this sense of urgency or feel that they have a personal stake mm. in you know the climate crisis that we're in
1: right? Yeah, I think that there are a lot of reasons. And I think about this a lot and like (laughs) go down the rabbit holes of of the potential reasons. But, you know, I think some of it comes from climate change is not always communicated in a way that is accessible. Um, And going through scientific numbers is often not a super moving experience for people, including myself. But you know, kind of focusing and I think grounding it in stories. And then, you know, this is how is this going to affect me and my family and my community and the people and places that I care about? To me, that's a lot more impactful and moving um, than saying, because it's like 1.5 degrees of warming, like, okay, <laughs> what does that mean? You know, it, it, it's kind of hard to picture. So I think some of it is that. And then I also think um, sometimes, it because it is so big and scary. Um, I think sometimes we kind of remove ourselves from it um, and try not to think about you know kind of think oh this is going to affect someone else it's going to affect someone over there someone who doesn't live in my community but in reality you know it's it's affecting people differently based on where we live and and all of that but it, it is going to affect everyone in some way and so kind of bringing it at home to here's how it's affecting um, my community I think is really important and is as scary as, as it is, and it it's also motivating. Um, and I think brings people into the movement in a way that's really important.
0: I, I agree with you. Storytelling is so important. Um, although you know, when my graphing calculator has a ton of numbers on it, that moves me, right? I, yeah. I'm terrified. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe telling people it is scary math Might uh, work.
1: (laughs) Different kinds of uh, of movement for sure.
0: (laughs) So I I I reached out to you. um, You know we've known each other for years. uh, I reached out to you because you wrote an op-ed in the Connecticut Mirror entitled "UConn Must Stop Greenwashing and Respond to Student Concerns." Yeah. Um. So I. What. Drove you to write an op-ed, right? Because I, I, I've seen you very much at the Capitol. I've seen you as a person who is, uh, you know, skilled at, at, at community organizing and and getting people involved. And so, you know, a public letter to say like, "Hey, get your act together," mm-hmm. um, doesn't necessarily strike me as your first style, but. Apparently, something happened that you felt. Now I yeah. need to put pen to paper.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um, I guess for a little bit of background, I went to UConn and I graduated in 2022. Um, and <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yes, I'm glad to have graduated. But um, while there, you know, a lot of I spent a significant amount of time pressuring the university to do better and to live up to their promises of being a climate-friendly school, which they love to claim, and they claim very publicly on their website and in their publications and all of this stuff. Um, But from the student perspective, we know that they don't have a plan for how they're reaching um, a lot of these goals that they really like to talk about. And so I spent, um, you know, a lot of time working there and then I graduated. And I think one of the things that universities and institutions more generally count on is kind of people leaving and then not remembering the work, or not not remembering the work they did, but kind of moving on and leaving that work behind. Um, and I think also because UConn is in the community that I come from, I really did not want to graduate and leave that work behind um, because UConn continues to mislead students, mislead the public about how green or not green they are. Um, and so having graduated, I was thinking about, you know, what can I do? And I'm not living in Connecticut anymore. And so I'm not able to, you know, organize a rally at UConn. And also, um, as you know, someone who doesn't go there anymore, maybe that's kind of not, not exactly my role anymore as well. Um, and so the thing that I, I did feel like I could do and still be impactful and helpful with was calling others, and especially um, other alumni and other folks living in Connecticut, to support the current students who are at UConn and who are doing this work and are calling on the institution to do better. Um, And also kind of as a way of preserving that institutional memory and not graduating and um, leaving all of that work behind. So um, I co-authored the op-ed that you mentioned with a current um, UConn law student, Colin Rosadino, who's doing a lot of work um, at UConn, along with a lot of other undergraduate and graduate students who are calling on the university to do better And to kind of live up to those promises that they were also making to me when I was there and to my friends who were there before me as well. So they have some work to do.
0: So, I, you know, this reminds me of, uh, you know, of the parallel that this is happening all across the country where students are demanding for endowment justice, right? Mm -hmm. We've seen this at Yale uh, around Puerto Rican debt and around. Uh, Fossil fuel divestment, Harvard, Princeton, um, Mm -hmm. to name a few uh, universities. And so, I guess, you know, what first and foremost, what is greenwashing for those who may not know?
1: Greenwashing is when a university, a person, an institution claims to be green and, you know, environmentally friendly. um, And maybe they are doing some green things. Um, but in reality, a lot of what they're doing is not environmentally friendly. Um, and so to take UConn as an example, um, they claim to be very green <laughs> um, and their buildings, uh, their new buildings, especially are very energy efficient, which is definitely good for the environment. Um, but what they a lot of times will leave out of that statement is that we also have um, a cogeneration plant on campus, which co-generates steam. Um, and energy, but it comes from natural gas. So we have like a literal natural gas you know generator um, on our campus, which is producing a lot of emissions. Um, and so you know that's the kind of thing that a greenwashing university will do is, is not mention that part. Um, and that's you know, that's on, on one side. but then on the divestment side that you were just mentioning, um, UConn also a lot of times doesn't really want to mention that they do have investments still in fossil fuels which they're also not being transparent about and not really giving students clear answers on how much that investment is, when it might be divested all of that information. So just, I think like a lot, a lot of lack of transparency and also, you know, telling a very one-sided uh, piece of the story that doesn't really address a lot of the, the big issues that the campus is facing.
0: For those of y'all who are just joining us, you're listening to WNHHFM. 103.5, just-in-time conversations. I'm your host, Justin Farmer, with our guest, Senna Weiser. Uh, Senna was just talking about um, you know, greenwashing, this, this process where you know, companies, institutions, pretend pay lip service to uh, being environmentally uh, conscientious, then uh, with a sleight of hand, uh, they're either investing in fossil fuels or uh perpetuating fossil fuels uh in the sense of the 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 gas plant that you're talking about um, so uh, you know a, a lot of people will say what's the big deal right what's what's the problem if they're moving towards if they're making these incremental movements what what's the harm
1: mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> so I think when it comes to any institution, but especially a university, a lot, especially a university, their work is to prepare students for the future. Um, That is their purpose. If they're preparing us for a future while simultaneously destroying that future or investing in the destruction of that future, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, And also we're at the point in the climate crisis where we are on a very short timeline (laughs) because people refused to act and, and, you know, institutions and um, elected officials with a lot of power, um, you know, did not take the action that was necessary. And so now we're in a really tight crunch timeline where we have to act um, much more drastically and dramatically to combat the climate crisis at the scale of the issue that it is. And so um, UConn as a part of that and as an institution that has fueled and funded the climate crisis needs to take action that's kind of in accordance with the level of of crisis that we're seeing Um, and that does not mean you know waiting around or making these very small incremental changes that means making changes at the scale of the issue we face and also I would say you know some of the stuff like infrastructure updates it does take a lot of time and that I think you know students and people will understand that but they need to be transparent about it and I think that's another really big thing with Universities is a lot of times there's this lack of transparency with students around, you know, what are we doing? How are we doing it? How fast are we doing it? Um, and students want that information and alumni like me also want that information um, because it's it's important to understand, okay, if you claim to be addressing it, how are you doing that and, and on what timeline? Um, and so I think, yeah, I just think that there's a lot of work to be done around both that speed and also that transparency piece.
0: Yeah, no, you you raised for me a couple of different things. Uh, I definitely uh, agree that they're, you know, those politicians, uh, they need (laughs) to get it together. Uh, I can say that now because I'm no longer elected. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I I, I think, you know, collective memory is so important. And Mm -hmm. so, as you were saying before, universities these institutions bank on this being a transient community Mm -hmm. and where people will drop off where the work is left and it might not necessarily get picked up um, or it might have to be restarted and so you know part of that work uh, i know that y'all worked on effort uh uh, alums worked on an effort to get push the university while they were students to come up with a comprehensive mm-hmm. plan to move along the university.
1: Right.
0: Um, and more or less, um, you know, you cert that that's been shelved, right? Like the board of trustees at UConn hasn't really moved that along. Um, and then there's this lack of transparency about the scope of the investments, the size of mm-hmm. the investments, the duration or time to move from point A to point B. Um, do, you, do you speculate that this is just they don't know how to move? Or do you like, how, how is it making you feel? And, and what do you think the lag is in terms of them implementing this plan?
1: Right? Yeah, so I think that there is some lag related to not knowing what the next step is, which is frustrating because um at the beginning of my yeah, (laughs) at the beginning of my time at UConn, there was something called the President's Working Group on Sustainability that was created um in response to student demands. Um and the whole role of that working group was to create plans for how the university reaches um like net zero. But uh those plans were kind of put to the wayside and haven't really been used, which is you know, which is crazy because <laughs> students and professors and faculty put a lot of time into them, um, so that's really frustrating. But yeah, I guess to to kind of go back to your actual question, um, yeah, there is a lack. I think there is a lack of even understanding of how to to get there. Um, I would also say, I, don't, I I don't know. I think it's it's hard because because of that lack of transparency, it's hard to know where the holdup is um, because they're not really being clear around what do they already have and what do they need. Um, and I think students are doing a really great job kind of pushing them on that piece um, and trying to get to the bottom of that um, and also asking them to look back at those plans from the president's working group because they're still there and while they might have to be updated and shifted since it's been a few years um, they you know they could be used and they could still be helpful Um, so yeah I think it's, it's just kind of a hard question to answer because of the transparency piece but I think both like the president, President Merrick, who is relatively new because he's gone through a lot of presidents in the last uh, few years. Um, (laughs) So both her and the board of trustees, I think, have a lot of work to do around um, speeding a transition and, and being clear with students about where they're at and also involving students in that process and not just, you know, creating some sort of working group, but leaving students out of it. Students should be, you know, an integral part of that, especially since they're the ones who have been pushing and kind of Continuing to hold the university accountable to these promises.
0: No, that that is definitely true. I, uh I'm gonna throw up a jargon giraffe. Um, I I am familiar with the term of net zero. Um, mm-hmm. but you know what, what does net zero mean for yeah. our community? And 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 you know, at, at what point? you know, because everyone wants to get to net zero. But, right. you know, if you set your timeline 50 years from now, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of pointless. So, mm-hmm. you know, what's a real, in your mind, right? What's a realistic goal that the university should move towards and then what is net zero? Right? right. Is this internet? Is this Comcast? <laughs> so
1: net zero is, um, it means that your whatever emissions you do have, which hopefully have been decreased, are balanced out by things like carbon offsets um, and carbon removal and sequestration. I will say I don't love net zero because um, carbon offsets have been shown to be a big greenwashing scheme, and and carbon offsets are basically like buying forest um, in some other place and generally some other country, um, and then you know kind of claiming that you're removing emissions, even though that forest is already there. So that that is a little, uh, there's some debate around that, and it, I definitely find it concerning. Um, and then there's also, you know, kind of this thought around carbon sequestration, but that technology is very new, and there are also lots of problems with that. So that's net zero. Um, the other thing that people sometimes talk about is true zero, which is like, actually reducing your emissions to zero which is ideal <laughs> and what I really hope that folks will work towards right now UConn is still using that language of um, net zero and I think they are planning to use offsets and all of that which is um, another concerning <laughs> piece of this conversation um, but yeah the only I think good
0: offset is in the uh, Migos no. sorry the only good offset is in the Migos
1: <laughs> exactly um, <laughs> yeah so, um I think right now the timeline that Yukon is looking at is uh net zero by 2040 um which is it is it, it's okay. I I um I think you know in these sort of situations I think it's really important to kind of refer back to that science and to look at that really intentionally and I'm not a scientist. I do not come from a sciencey background, so I'm you know not necessarily the best person to do that, but Um, You know, UConn has a lot of really great climate scientists and so I hope that they will rely on those faculty and those professors who do this work and are passionate about it and want to, um, you know, move the university in the right direction um, to come up with a plan that is ambitious and actually meets the targets uh, laid out by those international kind of climate bodies. And I would also say that because we're based in the U.S. and UConn is an institution that has money and power and all of that. Um, If anything, I would say that their, you know, their goals should be even a little bit ahead of the science um, and they should be setting deadlines that are sooner um, because they, yeah, they do have, they do hold that kind of institutional power and, and wealth. Um, And so there's, there's some work to be done there and, and really meeting deadlines and not going past them because if anyone can afford to meet them, it should be UConn and other institutions like them
0: no I, I i totally agree with you it uh you it is a weird dichotomy to have mm-hmm. students research and work and yes. get an education towards learning how to undo these systems and right. then to have these systems go like well whatever we taught you that doesn't really matter right that is not a concern. Um,
1: yeah, it's
0: crazy. I, so I, I guess going back to this, like, how does all of this make you feel, right? Uh, as a alum, as a, a person, mm-hmm. as a community member.
1: I think it's just really frustrating, and it 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 is. Um, it's hard to see UConn claim to be green and then know all of this other information at the same time. Um, and I think you know, as someone who. I, I often feel like I spent more of my time at UConn fighting the institution than I did learning from it. It it sucks because I I mean, I was paying to be there, you know, um and it's a state school, but, you know, it's it's still expensive. And like the fact that I'm that that students are paying to get this education, but then are taking time away from, you know, what they're what they're technically there for, which is to learn to to instead fight the, the institution is crazy to me um and so I think there's just like a lot of frustration looking back at that and and as a community member also it you know it sucks because I I know that those things and those decisions that UConn are making are kind of really dramatically affecting the town and the surrounding um area and it it's just yeah it's really upsetting to see that and so I think I just really want accountability for UConn and I really want them to live up to their promises and to to meet the demands that's um, students have been making for you know over five years at this point I'm sure much much longer but that's I guess that's kind of how far my institutional memory goes back um, from my time there and also from friends so yeah I, I want I want UConn to be held accountable but I also think that there's a broader because UConn is a state school it, it also some of it for me also goes back to accountability for Connecticut as a whole and wanting to <laughs> wanting Connecticut to live up to its promises because there are tie-ins there and of course uconn works independently and they they can make decisions but the board of trustees for example is very heavily representative of connecticut folks um, from different agencies so there's also for me a little bit of a tie-in i think between those two things
0: now you you mentioned the board of trustees Um, so the board of trustees this is Mm -hmm. the organization that oversees management of the university makes decisions on behalf of the university about Mm -hmm. you know they check the boxes and sign the 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 dotted lines in terms of pyramids of stuff and uh, um, you know sign off on the goals and priorities of, of the institution and so um I know, right, that the university will claim that, you know, it has student representation on the board. Mm -hmm. um, And so, therefore, it is representative of the student body. But this is two individuals on the board Mm -hmm. of trustees. Um, You know, you you made an argument that um, in, in your article that. Because the board of trustees aren't necessarily people who are tied to the university in any mm-hmm. way, uh, they don't even necessarily need to be alum or so. That, yeah. You know, they might not be felt beholden to the student body
1: mm-hmm.
0: or or to to the, 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 the campus community. Um, I, I guess in my mind, I don't think they're necessarily. Uh, their views are necessarily beholden of the connecticut community either and so yeah you know you know if we're talking directly to the the board of trustees right uh, what things would you have them implement to have them be more accountable to the Mm -hmm. connecticut community and and more specifically to the campus community
1: yeah, I would ask them to start by really intentionally sitting down and listening without an agenda, which I know is, I think is sometimes a lot to ask, <laughs> but I, I I would really, I would really ask them to start without listening because I think that there are so, like UConn, they, there are some things that I really love about the campus. There are also a lot of issues beyond just climate change. Um, and I think that there is a lot that could be fixed um, if students were really you know kind of listen to with just like if if admin if board of trustees just sat down and listened to students um and then included them in the process afterwards and i think like you're saying going beyond just students that's true of kind of connecticut more broadly as well because especially because uconn is such a big state school um and so that would really be the first thing that i would ask um from the board and then like you mentioned, there are two students on the board. They're elected for one year terms, and it's one undergraduate student and one grad student. So, you know, it's, it, that's a short time to learn a lot. The board doesn't meet all that regularly. Um, And then you also, you don't really have another, you know, another, I mean, you have one other student, but you don't have another undergrad or grad student ally on the board, so to speak, that could help you raise things. And so, I would also ask the board to, you know, expand um to include more students because I do think that that's a really big issue um and it just it feels kind of disempowering and I actually I wrote another op-ed right after graduating asking more broadly kind of making a statement about board of trustees needing more student representation because they're not accountable to the student body and they don't necessarily know what is happening on campus either because these are not people who are living in Mansfield they're not you know they're not living on campus so um, they, you know, they don't necessarily kind of see those everyday issues that a student or a community member um, would.
0: You know, that's a fascinating point. for For those of y'all who are just joining us, you're listening to WNHHFM one hundred three point five, Just in Time Conversations. I'm your host Justin Farmer with our illustrious guest Sena Weiser, community activist, climate activist. All around, amazing person. Uh, uh, it, you know that's the interesting point that you were just making was that, you know, I, I didn't even think about this until you said it now. But the fact that there's only one grad student and one undergrad student that doesn't even, uh, uh, you know, encapsulate the different campuses that UConn has. Right like all the different satellite campuses yeah. <laughs> from Avery Point to Stanford, right? Like, right. those perspectives aren't seen or heard.
1: Mm-mm. Right? Yeah.
0: Um, so yeah, no, those are great suggestions. I know, you know, you mentioned and alluded to the 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 students' uh, concerns about sexual harassment and how you're yeah. Concerns kind of got even them sharing their stories got shut down. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I, I definitely agree with you that their listening has to be part of the agenda, and, and right. the agenda has to be there is no agenda. Yes. Yeah. It's improving uh, the, what the community needs. Um, so, what, we'll, you know, who, the governor right is the person mm-hmm. who appoints these trustees right and so mm-hmm. you know what does that process look like is that a transparent process is that outside of the student body process yeah. right? like what what does that look like and could that be more transparent
1: i am not super familiar with the process so i don't want to make any claims that are wrong about it. I do know that a lot of the seats are just saved for people who are in certain roles. So like, um, like, uh, director of like the department of education in Connecticut, that kind of role. Um, so a lot of them, it's not, the governor is not appointing a specific person. They're just, they're in that role. So they get that seat. Um, so I, I guess there, yeah, there is a level of transparency with some of with with a lot of those seats. And I I'm trying to think if there are other seats that are directly appointed by the governor. I don't they're not coming to mind right now. Yeah. Um I think most of the seats I know of are, yeah, it's either that or someone like the head of the Yukon Foundation, like that kind of um situation. So they're kind of appointed through a different process and then they they end up on the board through that. Yeah. Um yeah, I would have to go back and look at the exact makeup of the board though, <laughs> to know
0: no no that that that's a, a good point that you know i think the fact that you know we don't know tells us a lot right
1: um, yeah yeah i mean also most students are not like i ended up spending a lot of time looking into the board of trustees because i wanted to know why they weren't acting on climate change but a lot of students don't necessarily we don't really think about the board of trustees even maybe as a decision-making entity because they're, you know, they're there so infrequently, they don't meet very often. And the people who we would see might be the UConn president um or a dean, but those people in the end are also accountable to the board of trustees. So I do think having more students involved in that space is really important in having, yeah. Yeah. I, I
0: want to switch gears. um yeah. We- Happened to uh, uh, both be at a conference at Yale about uh, finding joy, uh, and so wanted to hear your takeaways about you know joy in the environment. But yeah, what did you take away from 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 the uh, conference and, and and what joy? What what is the joy in this work uh, that you have found?
1: Yeah, yeah, um, I really love that conference because I think it made me think about my work in a little bit of a different way than I kind of do on a daily basis which was really nice um but I think the main thing that I was taking away from that conference and have been reflecting on since then um is just like the joy and community and I think that was really the thing that stuck with me throughout every you know session that I attended and all of the conversations I had and also Um, just my work more broadly is, you know, community and relationships are really at the root of everything that we're doing, and also, you know, why we're doing um, the work, and so that was, that was just so lovely to me, and I think, you know, part of that for me goes back to, like, the community that I grew up in, and um, my parents ran a farm, and so the community I was surrounded by was a lot of other folks who also were on farms, and, like, I, I'm not necessarily in that space <laughs> every day anymore but um there is a lot of joy in that for me and, and also in the way that we operated and in, in taking care of the land and all that so some of it for me goes back to that but then I think a lot of it um when I think about it is also like co- the community of other organizers and activists that I'm like feel really grateful to be a part of um and I think I had that a lot you know in Connecticut with all of the folks that both of us worked with and I feel really grateful to you know to have gotten to organize with a lot of really cool young people and also just folks from across the state um, who I you know maybe wouldn't have necessarily had the chance to meet in my everyday life at UConn um and also now I I work in Washington DC and I'm working with folks across the northeast um and so that's been cool to kind of expand that community of organizers to people working in all of these different states but fighting you know similar issues to what um to what I was working on in Connecticut. And that's been a really, it's been a cool way to kind of expand community. And and it's not maybe the same because it's not place-based in the way that that the work I did in Connecticut was, but it's still a, you know, a different sort of community where we're still there for each other and able to behold each other. And I think that I really appreciate that and I find a lot of joy in it.
0: Mm. Shout out to the farmers. No.
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> shout out to them. <laughs>
0: um. No, I... Uh... You know, I, I think there there's something special about being in a community
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, and being connected uh, in the work, right? And, yeah. and finding commonality uh, around the issues that uh, affect us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you talked, well, can you talk about what you're working on now, what you, but what what are the big things that you are up to in organizing around these days?
1: Yeah, um, so one of the big, well, I guess there are three things I'll mention. One of the big um, issues that I'm organizing with folks around right now is to do with the Inflation Reduction Act, (laughs) which is nice and wonky, (laughs) Um, but basically it's the big climate bill that was passed into law last year. Um, And I will say, right now that it is very far from perfect and so i don't want to give the impression that i'm like just giving it glowing reviews here but um inflating one of value sorry
0: inflating its value
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly i am not trying to do that um but what i will say <laughs> is that it um does have a lot of money for individuals so for homeowners for renters um, to use to upgrade their home and to electrify their home. So that could be something like getting better insulation or getting better windows. Um, It could be like an electric car. It could be um, a stove that's electric instead of gas. Um, And so it has kind of money for folks. If you're buying one of those things, you can get a certain amount off depending on your income and all of that. Um, and so one of the kind of issues of the bill is that it has all this money, but not necessarily like a lot of people don't necessarily know about it. Um, And so right now I'm working with folks throughout the Northeast to, um, you know, help them go into their communities and present about this and talk about it and help folks access this money because it is also there for a limited amount of time. So really important to um, take advantage of it sooner rather than later. So that's one of the big projects we're working on. Um, Another thing that i'm organizing around right now is also relating to farming actually um but every five years the congress has to um farm. like approve the new farm bill um and this year's farm bill includes money for climate smart agriculture um which is really exciting to me because that's the kind of um like the kind of farming that i grew up doing um and it's also very underfunded right now um so we were doing a lot of advocacy around that and you know asking congress folks to Support that um, because some Congress members were threatening to divert that to, like, kind of the big monoculture farms that already get most of the funding. Um, with that said, Congress, as I think, uh, you know, will know, <laughs> we're paying attention to the news, is quite a mess right now. So, you know, kind of continuing to advocate for that, but also they are trying to avoid a shutdown. So, We'll see how that goes, um, but hopefully that will be voted on next year, and hopefully that you know we'll continue to advocate for that money to stay in there for for climate smart ag. Um, and then the final thing I'll mention, which is more relevant to or directly relevant to Connecticut, um, is that there's this new proposed Enbridge pipeline, or it's not a new pipeline; it's a proposed expansion of an existing pipeline um, by the company Enbridge, which is a Canadian company and has a lot of pipelines in the U.S. Um, and this expansion would run all, like, completely through Connecticut, um, as well as a bunch of surrounding states. Um, and it's at very early stages, so, you know, we're kind of still figuring out how to mobilize, but that's another one of the things that I'm kind of keeping an eye on and starting to think about how to be organized to oppose that um, and not let another fossil fuel pipeline through our state, because we definitely do not need that.
0: Yeah, I, I, uh, Yeah, no i i i i I had to chuckle a little bit that you uh you've only been in the DMV for like what a year and (laughs) you're like Congress.
1: (laughs) I mean, I think I was like Congress uh, when I was in Connecticut as well. (laughs) It's just a constant state of how I feel. (laughs) uh, Yeah. Oh, facts, no, right? I
0: yeah, I I plead the fifth. Uh, the, uh, uh, so in terms of this pipeline, is mm-hmm. this pipeline for energy? Is this natural carbon? gas, natural gas,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, and natural gas to be converted into energy or.
1: It's not clear. <laughs> oh. Um, it, yeah, it's not clear. It's connecting to, um, uh, like an existing pipeline that runs, I think from New Jersey to Maine. So it's a pretty large pipeline. There's a potential that this energy could get exported or this natural gas could get exported. It might stay here and be used for energy production. Um, there's a lot of things that it could be done with, but I think at the end of the day, the thing that I com- keep coming back to is why are we still building new fossil fuel infrastructure when we're this deep into the climate crisis? And like the science is super clear that we cannot build any new infrastructure if we want any chance of avoiding the worst consequences of climate change. So no matter what it's supposed to be used for at the end, it's just, to me, it's so infuriating that we're still building infrastructure at this point to support something that we know is not sustainable.
0: Yeah, no, I, because the first thing you said, when you said that, my mind traveled to the fact, I'm like, didn't we just invest in offshore wind? Right. (laughs) Like Yeah. (laughs) Like, didn't we just like, Kill the idea of the killingly plants. Yeah. Right. I'm like, is this killing me? It's like, no, this is not killing me. This is something else. Oh, it's,
1: it's new. <laughs> it's more natural gas, <laughs> more fossil fuels because we don't have enough.
0: <laughs> I, I don't know. I, 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 I yeah, I, I, I could not tell you. Um, but that is something that, uh, I hope to look into and learn more about and and, and connect. Um, You know, how can people get connected to the work that you are currently working on? And uh, how can people connect to uh, the students at UConn organizing around, um, you know, endowment justice?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I guess for the students organizing right now, they're organizing. through an organization called Fossil Fuel Free Yukon, um, and they have Instagram, and I think um, probably like Facebook as well. So I would definitely encourage folks to kind of connect with, with the students there and follow along with what they're doing and there's some opportunities to support and all of that. Um, in terms of the work that I'm currently doing, so I work for the Climate Reality Project, although not speaking on their behalf, but... Um, so that's kind of where where the work I'm doing on the Inflation Reduction Act and the Farm Bill and also a little bit Project Maple right now. Um, and so, you know, if folks want to get involved there, there are lots of opportunities and we're going to be doing a big like kind of climate training in, in New York City for folks who are interested in getting more involved. So that'll be exciting. That's next, going to happen next year. Um, but the other thing that I would also encourage and always kind of, I think, it's like the first thing that I like to say is um, to look for a local organization. And I know that New Haven has a lot of really great ones and Connecticut more broadly has a lot of great organizations um, just because I do think local is really important and it allows you to build community with folks who are physically near you. And I think that's, there's a lot of power in that and a lot of power in being able to organize against the things that you see affecting your everyday life. Um, so that was my other <laughs> recommendation or way to get involved.
0: No, thank you. Um, mm-hmm. As we come towards the, the end of our time, um, you know, what brings you? You know what what would be your words uh, of encouragement to to someone who is getting newly involved into mm-hmm. the foray of activism and community organizing?
1: Yeah, um, I would just remind folks to one find those other like organizers and activists who you connect with and who you can be in community with because there will be really hard times and i think there are a lot of really hard times with the work that we're doing whether it be on climate change or on you know any other kind of issue there are there are things happening in the world all the time and so i think having those other people who you can lean on and who will be there for you and, and who you can kind of strategize with through those really hard times is really important and has allowed, at least for me, has allowed me to stay in this work and, you know, like almost five years on climate change specifically. Um, and like that, that has been the most important thing for me. Um, the other thing I would say is I, you know, more and more as I do this work, I try to remember that like, we're part of a very kind of like long span of of organizers and movements and folks who have been doing this work for many generations and i think for me i find some kind of comfort in that maybe and the fact that it's not just us doing this work now but it's folks before us and folks now and also folks after us who will do this work um and so i try and hold on to those two things and i think it would have been really great if i <laughs> had known that earlier um in doing this work and started thinking about those things you know um, but yeah, I think it all comes back to community.
0: Hey. Well, uh, my my favorite question to always ask people
1: okay.
0: is, "What is a song that we can remember you by?" Oh more?
1: gosh, that's a stressful question. I can't believe you end with that question. I don't. I don't <laughs> have a good song off the top of my head. <laughs> I would have to think about that and get back to you. Um, wow. I know. I'm so sorry. I should have known to prepare for that question.
0: <laughs> uh, all right. Well, you know, I, 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 I guess I'll accept a, a comeback. Um, Thank you. We'll have to have you back sometime yeah. in the future, and uh, have you have a song. And uh, if you think of a song in the meantime, uh, definitely hit know. me up, and I'll <laughs> make sure to play it at the beginning of a. The next episode sounds good. Um. Well, Sunwaiser, thank you so so much for being in community with us. Until next time, let us continue to plant the change, so we can grow together.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah you to time the playing
0: leaving. All right. See you at the airport. I'm leaving yeah. on the next plane. I don't know where. Be back again, Kiss me and smile for me Tell me that you wait for me Hold me like you know I'll never go Even though you know I will, I'm a traveling man Moving through places, space and time Got a lot of things
1: I got to do God willing, I'm coming back to you Baby boo, I'm a traveling man Moving through places, space and time Got a lot of
0: things I got to do God willing, I'm coming back to you, my baby bro, I'm leaving, go ahead and leave the call, heard around the world from the wise of MCs, He's cat-